Thank you. And today, I've been emotional today. <laughs> the Lord understands our tears, amen? He understands our tears. And today, we have a, uh, two special guests. They're gonna bring a word for us today. Um, uh, Jack and Sheila Harper, they are with Save One. And uh, they, I'm gonna let them tell their story so I don't mess it up. But I've, I've uh, witnessed their story so many times on social media and online. And uh, last year, we started this conversation about having them here. And little did I know how everything was gonna pan out in our nation. And this is such a hot topic, even this week uh, in our nation's capital. And I don't think it's by, uh, I don't think it's uh, by mistake that they are here. And tomorrow starts Women, Women's History Month tomorrow. And uh, I think it's a divine appointment from heaven that they are here today. And they, uh, they have two, they only have two more dates on their calendar where they will not be at a church speaking somewhere, sharing this story. So if you would at this time, I want you to put your hands together and welcome uh, Sheila and Jack here. They're gonna share a word for us today. Well, thanks for making me cry, Pastor Chase. <laughs> uh, what he didn't say is that this is my sister. <laughs> Sonia and Ed. So anyway, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, and let me just tell you, you don't have worship like that because Pastor Chase found some singers, okay? These people are worshipers. Thank you so much. That was incredible. I'm not just saying that either. I don't think I've ever said that in a church that we've spoken at. That was straight fire and I loved it. But anyway, on to our subject. Uh, as Pastor Chase said, my name is Sheila Harper, and I am here to tell you about a nonprofit organization that I founded back in 2000. What we do is we help men, women, and families recover after abortion. Because you know that this is not just a woman's issue. It affects an entire family. <laughs> I saw my sisters grieve the abortion that I had on March 29th, 1985. And it was by far the most regrettable, most horrific mistake of my entire life. I spent the next seven years just hating myself. I wanted to just die. It was the only way I could figure out to get out of this, to get past that choice. And now looking back on this, I realize why. It's because as men and women, as mothers and fathers, we were never created to make the choice of abortion. We, God did not create us to choose death for our children. He put within us the ability to nurture and protect and provide for our children. So when we choose abortion, we go, we go against the very nature of who God created us to be. And because it goes against our nature, we don't have the capacity, we don't have the emotional, the mental, or the spiritual capacity to deal with the aftermath because he never created us to make that choice. And so we just spin our wheels, we, we, we spend all of this time. Sometimes women come to us and men come to us and they have abortions in their life that are 50 and 60 years old, that they've never found a place that they could go and say, I lay this down. They've carried it their whole life. 
And it's absolutely heartbreaking. I went through the seven-year period after 1985. I was living in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the time. And throughout those seven years, I attempted suicide. I, I became reliant upon drugs and alcohol just to get through a day. And I thought that that was the only way I was going to be able to live until I found my way to a Bible study that the local pregnancy center was offering. I will forever be grateful for the work that the pregnancy centers do. They don't get enough credit. But because of those women who came alongside me and got down in my pain with me and walked me out of it, I haven't been able to be quiet about it ever since then. Because they introduced me to a Jesus who came in and healed me from the inside out. He, they showed me a Jesus who forgives the sin of abortion. It doesn't mean we're putting our stamp of approval on abortion. It means that the church is just being the church, just saying, you know what? I know that there's over 60 million people in America, 60 million women, which means there's 60, over 60 million men who have lost children to abortion. And it's the church just opening their arms and saying, you know what? I know that abortion wound and we're here to help you heal it. When we first started Save One, I, God gave me the women's Bible study to write because I, I thought, okay, this will just be a little Bible study I teach at my church. And so I wrote the women's Bible study and it started taking off and we started having a lot of success with it. And the women were coming out of that study and talking openly about their abortion at the church. And it was amazing. And so people were starting to see, like we were getting momentum and having some success and Jesus was really working through this little Bible study. And then we started having men ask to go through the women's Bible study. And you know that's gotta be some pain. All I had then was a little pink flowered book and I would have to hand them that book and say, you'll have to change the pronouns to fit you. That's all I had. And so, but they did. And you know, God can meet us anywhere. He can work through anything. And he works through that little pink flowered book. But we finally realized that this isn't just a woman's issue. It's a man's issue too. And so my husband and I wrote the men's study. So then we're, we're helping men and women. And then we started having siblings of aborted children and grandparents of aborted children want to go through the study. And then I realized this is not just about men and women. It's about the family. This is the enemy's direct attempt to harm the family, to divide the family, to wound the family beyond repair. But he can't do anything past the power of Jesus. And so God started working through these three little Bible studies that I had written. And it has been amazing they, they all three mirror each other so you can invite anyone who is abortion wounded into your class and, and they can all be on the same subject each week. And it's a beautiful process. I'm here to tell you, I'm, I'm living proof. But we have tens of thousands of people that we, we like to say we're raising this army of truth tellers who are no longer willing to be silent about the, the issue of abortion, telling the truth of what abortion really does to you. And it's all happening in local churches and pregnancy centers around the world. 
what I thought was just going to be that little Bible study has now grown into, we have over 300 chapters, 300 avenues of healing, reaching out to people in those communities in 26 countries around the world. That doesn't happen. Yes, give God a hand. That doesn't happen because I am some marketing genius. It happens because we just, we just said this is what we have to offer and the need is so incredibly great. People need that place to come and lay down that wound. And looking back on this whole thing now, what, I, what I've learned over these 21 years is that it's time that we do something radically different to end abortion in our country and around our world. And it's not through politics that it's going to happen. And let me tell you, don't get mad when your pastor gets political. Come on. We're supposed to influence every sphere of influence open to us. And politics is one of those spheres. We have to talk about politics. We have to be engaged in politics. The silence of the church is what has gotten us into this mess. So I'm thankful when I have a pastor who's not afraid to talk about these subjects and get involved in politics and in every other facet of life. But let me tell you, at the same time, this is not a political issue. They made it a political issue knowing nothing would ever get done about it. They made it a political issue when they knew they could silence the church. And it's time that we do something radically different. And that radical thing is helping the men, women, and families who know the truth get to the healing of Jesus Christ and then start telling people in their community the truth of what abortion really does to you. What we see when we get healing, we see unborn children saved over and over and over because people who are abortion-minded finally are hearing the truth. We see abortion end in families. I can't tell you how this is a generational curse. Once one, one person opens the door, it's like the, then the son and then the grandson or the granddaughter or the daughter or whatever. We hear of generation after generation of abortion being in families. But once somebody says, you know what, this is not going to be in my family anymore, and they find healing, then it stops abortion for the generations behind them. That only happens in God's kingdom. And so our healing results in taking this issue back from politics and putting it in the local church where it belongs. We're the ones with the power. We're the ones who can do something about this. And so it's time, it is so time, church, for us to realize that a lot of our problems are from the abortion issue because it's a spiritual issue. It's not just a physical issue and mental and emotional. It is spiritual. And the enemy has had this issue locked up in his grip long enough. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so when we find healing, we become more powerful than the enemy. That's how we overcome the abortion issue is by this army of truth tellers who are no longer willing to be silent. So I want to meet every single one of you. I wish I could come and shake every one of your hands and hug your neck. But we have a table up here. Come and see us. Get a t-shirt. 
I have written my entire story in a book called Survivor. In fact, during the pandemic, we beefed it up. I added a lot of more details and more stories and everything that happened to me during those seven years and how I found incredible victory through Jesus. And so come and get that book. It's $12. But what we ask you to do is get it, read it for yourself, and then give it to someone. We all know someone who has had an abortion. Give it to that person. And I always say, blame it on me. Say, you heard this lady speaking at church, and she said, I should give this to you. <laughs> and if she gets mad or he gets mad, then have them contact us. But listen, it's time that we speak out. It's time we speak up. It's time we get engaged in what's happening out there because our sons and our daughters, our brothers and our sisters are believing the same lie that I believed, and we can stop it we can stop it by rising up and recognizing that this is not gonna happen anymore on our watch. So come and see us at the table. I'd love to talk to you, but I'll hand it over to Jack now. She tells people she can't preach, right? So um, a couple of things, Pastor Chase said that we have two dates left open on our calendar this year. And um, for, for anybody that's ever done any scheduling and trying to, to connect with pastors and to, to, to do dates, and even, even with the pandemic and different things going on, it's just not an easy process to do. So it takes hundreds of, hundreds of calls to, to be able to do that. And, and the thing that I want to tell you out of that is there's hundreds and hundreds of calls that I make where the pastor just does not want to talk about this. They do not want to talk about this. And so what I want to say to you is you guys have a brave pastor. Yeah. It's, it, it is more rare than it is common that people want to talk about this. And it so blows my mind because I feel like I understand the heart of Pastor Chase. And that is that if it affects you, he wants you to be, be able to find healing so that you can live in that rightful place in the kingdom that God has given you. Amen. So what, what an incredible, thank you, Pastor. Thank you. So we're going to hang out in Matthew 9 this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, if you, if you don't have a Bible or if you don't want to do all the turning, it'll be up on the big Bibles up here on the front. And this is a story that, that is uh, all through the Bible. And the reason that, I, that we do this this way, Sheila and I have done this for, for about two and a half years together now, is that there isn't anything that we can do, say, or do in program that will have any lasting value if we can't pair it with one of God's principles or how God works in the Bible. So the Word of God is eternal. It will last forever. And so everything that we do at Save One has to be able to line up with Scripture. And if it doesn't line up with Scripture, then we don't want any part of it. So this story is a story that you'll find in Luke 5, Mark 2. It's the same story in both of those. And I want to I just, just take a half a second right here and, and tell you, some of you in this room, you, you may honestly be able to say, you know what, I don't know anybody that's had an abortion. I don't, I don't think this applies to me or my family. And, and I just can't imagine what I'm going to get out of this today. On uh, September 6, 1998, Sheila coaxed me into church. I didn't want to be there. 
And I was an alcoholic. I had been drinking for 23 years. I feel like I was an alcoholic at first sip. That little indiscretion as a camp out for a 13-year-old turned into a lifestyle that I had no control over. I couldn't control my desire for it at 13. At 16, I could get it anytime I wanted when I started driving. And from that point forward, my life was controlled by a 12-ounce bottle. And I know there's a lot of people that say, well, you can't, you know, you can't be an alcoholic on beer. I can tell you, you can be an alcoholic on beer. It controlled my, it consumed every thought that I had. When I got up in, morning, in the morning, I was trying to figure out when was the first time that I would be able to drink that day. And a lot of times it was right after church, after work, um, I, I would t- go and get alcohol, take it to work and, and just to have it in the desk so I could start drinking at, at like 501. So I was messed up. I didn't want to be in church. I didn't want to be around church. I felt, I felt uncomfortable being in church. It was the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I didn't want that in my life. But I had this problem, and it was a major problem, and that was that I, that I had married into a praying family. And so I couldn't get away from, from this inevitable inter- intersection with Jesus. And they knew that and they were on that. And Sheila would ask me each week and, and there would be weeks that um, she would say, are we going to church today? And I didn't want to go to church, but I knew if I could find a way to not go to church that would be okay with her, then, then you know, we could, we could skip church that week. So we lived in Nashville and she would say, are we going to church today? And I would immediately grab the Sunday paper when we used to get the Sunday paper, you know, that big bulking thing that they used to deliver. I would look and the Braves would be in, in Atlanta that weekend. And so I spent untold amount of money saying, Sheila, the Braves are in Atlanta. Why don't we just go down to Atlanta for the weekend? And um, I, I'm serious. I spent a lot of money trying to keep us out of church. But this particular day, it, uh, and, and you guys don't, you don't care about that. Y'all are from Georgia. So I'm not going to tell a Tennessee story. But I was, uh, I was hungover from the day before's festivities. I didn't feel like being in church, didn't want to be in church. But when I didn't go to church and I didn't spend money on getting us somewhere else, she would make life hell at home all week. And I didn't want this hellish week that was about to come up, so I, I said yes. And that morning, and I didn't know what the, the, our pastor preached about, I didn't understand anything about that, but I was sitting on the third row back, I'll seat, left-hand side of the building, and the Lord started talking to me. And this 23-year alcoholic was delivered of alcohol that morning. I got saved that morning, and my life was radically transformed. I haven't had a drink since. I haven't had drugs since. I can tell you I had to work my way out of a whole lot of other problems that go along with being uh, in that mindset. But I can tell you this. He delivered me and he set me free. He set my feet on a rock. And I have not had to deal with that part of it again. And I tell you all of that to tell you, if you think you can't listen to the abortion portion of this this morning, listen to what God's speaking to you. Because we came in here this morning one way and he wants us to go out of here a different way. And he, he, listen, he, he will work with you right where you are. It says he inhabits the praise of his people. That means he's taking up residency with you this morning in this place, right where you are. And he's going to help you this morning. I still got to preach, right? So he got in the boat and he crossed over and he came to his own city. And then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. 
So I, I mentioned earlier, in, it's in Mark 2, it's in Luke 5. This, it's, it's, each story has the writer's own nuance about the way they tell the story. One of the things in one of the stories, it says that there were four guys that carried this, this paralytic. Four guys that carried the paralytic. And then, and then in another story, it says when they got there, that they couldn't get him in. You know, you can imagine that you get this guy, and I don't, maybe he lived next door. Maybe they just had a one, you know, a one, one house move there. But I, I, they had to carry him. However long they had to carry him. They had to carry him to the place that Jesus was teaching. And when they got there, they couldn't get in. They couldn't come in because all the seats were filled. Wouldn't that be a glorious service? All the seats were filled. The aisles were filled. The altars were filled. The stage was filled. There was no place to bring a paralyzed guy in so that Jesus could minister to him. And I don't know who it is in here this morning, but you probably know who you are. There's somebody in the room here that, that when you, you're doing something and you, you want to get somebody to Jesus, but then you get them to a place and then you think, oh, there's a, there's a tough spot here. I can't figure it out. There's somebody in here that would have that idea. Hey, let's just rip the, the roof open and let the guy down. You know, there's always that guy. There's always that guy. And so when they were carrying this guy, I, you know, it, you could see it, it, they call it a mat in one version. They call it a bed in the other. But, but for me, I, I got four guys holding on to four corners. Do you, everybody with me there? You know, it doesn't exactly say that, but I'm thinking that's the way to do it. If you get all four on one end, you just drop him off and then that doesn't work. So I'm thinking that there's four guys. Well, then they get him up top. So I'm thinking that there's a possibility that there's some ropes involved. Because when you got him up there, you got two choices. You could drop him. He's going to be with Jesus anyway. So, I mean, Jesus can take care of that, right? But maybe they had ropes tied off on each corner and then they're going to let him down right in front of Jesus. I mean, you know, they've made a ruckus tearing the roof off anyway. So, so they, you know, they've got everybody's attention. Lower the guy down. I'm thinking it was rope holders. Can I tell you, we all need rope holders in our lives. We all need people who are willing to hold the rope for us. All need people who are willing to extend their faith because now what does it say? When Jesus saw their faith, that's the next thing it says. It wasn't the paralytic's faith. It was their faith. Do you guys have faith for those that are lost in your life? Do you have faith for the prodigal? Do you have faith for healing? Do you have faith for, for deliverance for people? That's what this praying family that I married into had. And it affected me in an incredible way. But you know what? It wasn't just me. Sheila, Sheila found the faith of those pregnancy center director and the director and then all of those that worked there. They had faith that if she would come and she would meet Jesus. If she would come and she would meet Jesus through the word of God, through that Bible study, that her life would be transformed forever. So they had rope holders at the pregnancy center that were willing to take the ropes and hold it for people that were hurting. It's a pregnancy center that, that's doing everything they can to save babies, but yet at the same time, they're saying, you know what? For those that have made that wrong choice, we want to help them because we can't just leave them like they are. What a compassionate, what a beautiful process. We were singing a second ago and it said, excuse me if I can't contain my praise. 
You know, just excuse me if I get a little bit excited because I, I married Sheila in the middle of her turmoil. I married her when things were rough. I married her and came home to her and when she would be curled up in a ball on the couch just crying. And, not, and I didn't understand what was going on. So I, it's kind of hard for me to contain my praise because when I know that she met Jesus that first week and then that second week and then the third week and then what, by the time she got to the 10th week, this girl is a different girl. I've married somebody who has had a, an actual transformation. And I can't contain my praise because third row back aisle seat left hand side of the building the God of heavens and earth the creator said to me Jack give me everything or I'll take everything from you. You know I came with fear and trembling but I can tell you this I'm glad he posed it that way because it scared the liver out of me. I read the Old Testament I wasn't ignorant about the Bible I just didn't want anything to do with the Lord. I knew I needed a savior. I needed somebody to hold the ropes and I had this Heinemann family. Ed, you married into it too. Don't just sit there silent. <laughs> I had this Heinemann family that they were praying people and they held the rope for me until I got out of that mess that I was in. Jesus looked and saw their faith. He saw your faith. Thank you. You know what? He's looking in this room and he's looking and he's saying there's people in here of faith. There's people in here that have faith for their son or their daughter that's a prodigal. There's people in here that have faith for the cancer to leave. There's people in here that have faith for deliverance from alcohol or drugs. It doesn't matter what it is. There's people in here that are rope holders. What an incredible thing. But can I tell you, there's also people that need their place on the mat. You have to be willing to get on the mat. You know, he was, he was a paralytic, but can I just tell you, he could have protested enough to not go. You got to be willing to be on the mat. There was a moment when Sheila had to walk into that pregnancy center that she did not want to go to. She, you know, you're riding down the road in an astral van and you hear a 15 second commercial that a pregnancy center has paid for and said, you know what, if we can get people in here, maybe, maybe we can get them in and get them to Jesus. God can find you in a mini Astro van, okay? Burgundy, we thought we were cool. God can find you third row back, I'll see left hand side of the building. Whether you want to be there or not, God can intersect with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for those that held the rope for me. And then once I went, you know what? You can be delivered from alcohol, but you still got to say yes to Jesus. And you can say yes to Jesus and you can still have a whole lot of other habits and problems in your mind that need to be dealt with. And I had some men in that church that were willing to hold the rope for me. You know what? I'd been going there four years. You know what? They, they'd never once came up to me and said, hey, man, you smell like a brewery. You think you might want to lighten up on that on Saturday? <laughs> never did they do that to me. They welcomed me right where I was and loved me who, the way I was. They held the rope before I even knew they were holding the rope. God saw their faith and he said, you know what? They'll disciple him and bring him forward. They got rid of the junk in me by speaking the word to me. And then Jesus saw their faith and he does the exact thing that we don't think he would do. He says, son, be of good cheer. 
You got a paralyzed guy that's been let down through the roof, a spectacle. Everybody's seen it. The guy's laying there and Jesus looks at him and he deals with his emotions instead of dealing with the, par the, the paralysis. It's so odd until I started thinking about what he's doing. We have people that come in to save one. They contact us. They go through one of the chapters. They go through an online study with somebody. They meet in groups. And the common thing is, is the symptoms that Sheila had mentioned. I don't know if you did that at second service. Alcoholism, drug addiction, pornography. You do, they do pornography because there's no chance of, of pregnancy. Anger, shopping, workaholic. All these problems that, that, that we deal with in society, they come in and they're wrecked mentally. And the first thing that Jesus does with this guy is he says, be of good cheer. You know why I said that? It's a trick question. Because he wasn't of good cheer. There was something Jesus knew about him. He wasn't of good cheer. So what, do, what does Jesus do? He deals with the emotional part first. During worship, man, I'm sitting here. I am crying first service. Second service, I'm crying because God has given me emotions to worship him with. I don't have to hold those back. Somebody told me one time, oh, you go to a Pentecostal church. You're just emotional. I'm like... He gave them to me. Am I not supposed to use them? He gave gifts. He gave gifts. He gave, he gave me a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Am I supposed to just ignore that? He gave me tongues. I'm supposed to speak in them. I'm supposed to sing in them. He gave healings. He gave miracles and signs and wonders and prophetic word. Why would I run from any of that? That's who we are. But he... He dealt with his emotional state first, and this is why I believe he did, he did that. It's because our emotions are so wrecked sometimes that we can't see the deep spiritual truths that are coming to us. In fact, the, the emotions will keep us from getting to the deep end. So he dealt with the shallow end so the guy could get to the deep end. And then the second thing that he did is he said, your sins are forgiven you. He's paralyzed. They, they dropped him through the roof. They let him down and he deals with his emotions and then he deals with his sin problem. He still haven't gotten to the paralysis yet. Why did he do that? Because you can bust hell wide open walking. Why don't we take care of the eternal part before we take care of the temporal part? We worry about these things and we should worry about some of these things. We should worry about what's going on in people's lives. But, but, Take them to Jesus. Let Jesus deal with them. Let Jesus deal with them in the order that he wants to. As soon as he says, your sins are forgiven you, then you get that bunch out there. says, this man blasphemes. This man blasphemes. Oh, he's, <laughs> this guy don't even know what he's doing. He's dealt with the emotional state. And now he's trying to forgive sin. Do you know people out there are going to talk about you in here? People out there are going to talk about miracles and signs and wonders that are happening in this place. People out there are going to talk about the, the salvation, nine salvations last year, last week, pastor. That's awesome. But you know, somebody out there is trying to, trying to take away from that and, and degrade that. You, you are ignorant if you talk about somebody's salvation. Can I just tell you that? And they are in dangerous spot if they do that. Listen, they're going to talk. Let them talk. 
We're spirit-filled believers in this place. Don't back up from that. Tongues, yes. Miracles, yes. Don't stop. That's what keeps this place, that's what is going to make this place, this physical place, too small for what this church is going to be. Jesus knows when you're talking. Jesus knows what you're thinking. So there ain't no reason to be thinking wrong. Whenever you hear those things, take control of the thought. Get rid of it. He says, why do you think evil in your hearts for which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and walk? You know, he hadn't got to the third part yet, but then he says, but that you may know the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise and walk. Arise, take up your bed and go. Healing. Healing comes with you're with Jesus. Healing comes to this place. It's available each and every week. Because your pastor is a rope holder. He's holding the ropes for you. He's setting the stage for miracles and signs and wonders. He's making sure that this place is a place that has the atmosphere for miracles, for healings. It doesn't just happen out of nowhere. It happens because he sees his faith. He sees the staff's faith. He sees this church's faith. And he arose and departed and he went to his house. Now, this is the part, this is the part and the reason why we do this. You know, it's not easy for me to stand up and say, hey, for 23 years my life was ruled by a 12-ounce bottle. That's, that's, I mean, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of, Wow, what kind of guy were you? I was horrible. It's not easy for Sheila to stand up and give her testimony. Revelation 19 says that the, that the testimony of Jesus, what Jesus has done in my life, what, is, what he's done in her life, is the spirit of prophecy. So what Jesus has done in my life, when every time I tell about it and somebody's struggling with alcohol or struggling, struggling with drugs or pornography or whatever it is that you're struggling with, Jesus and that what he's done in my life is prophetic word to you that says he'll do that for you too. Because he don't like me any more than he likes anybody else. He loves me. He loves me today. He, he left the 99 and came getting this one. I can tell you that. But he does it for each one of us in this room. And so when we go out and we're telling our testimony out there, the city is starting to hear, listen, man, this is a place of salvation. This is a place where miracles happen. This is a place where the people like Jack Harper come in and the walls don't actually fall in on the place. Who, and then this is what happened. Now, when the multitude saw it, when they out there see this, when they out there see the miracles and healings and Salvation, salvation, salvation. That's the greatest miracle that ever happens. Then they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. When God is glorified, then people are going to be drawn to see what it is. But we got to tell our testimony. We got to tell what Jesus is doing. If you don't have a personal testimony from this week, tell Sheila's. If you don't have a personal testimony of what God's doing in your life or what he said this week while you're reading the Bible, tell mine. But tell somebody what God's doing in this place. Tell them about the worship. Which, Sheila, I agree. I mean, this was like, ah, oh, we don't get this everywhere we go. I was like, I'm, can they come back up and go again? You know. 
You're sitting in a miracle. You're sitting in a miracle that's not finished. You can't stop where you are now. You didn't come this far to just come this far. You've got to continue on. And the way that you continue on is you help those that are hurting. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be about the abortion issue, but it can never not be about life. God has established that life is precious. But if you've got hurting people out there, this is what 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26 says. If one person, one person is hurting, then the whole church is unhealthy. The whole church. And you know what Pastor Chase said? By bringing Sheila and I, if there's one person here that's been affected, then I want that person help because I want the whole church to be whole and healthy. 62 million abortions since Roe versus Wade. 62 million mothers have lost motherhood. 62 million fathers have lost fatherhood. 62 million lives were taken. It works out to one in every three women of childbearing age. It works out to one in three men. It works out the same numbers outside the church as inside the church. It's, this, is a pan, this is the pandemic. I'm not, I'm not demeaning COVID at all, but this is the pandemic. We are killing off generations. Pastor Chase asked you, ask us to come so you could hear. And I spoke because I believe. For those of you that are in the room, could you just bow your heads, close your eyes for just a second. And I just want to ask you, maybe you've been in church many times, but today is the first day that you've ever really considered giving your life to Jesus. That you're doing that for the very first time. Or maybe you've been in church, in and out, been here forever. I don't know how you got to the place, but you just know that your relationship with Jesus isn't right. And that if you died today, that you wouldn't enter into eternity with the Lord. Either way, you're away from the Lord and that's not what He wants. Is there anybody in this room this morning that knows that you need to fix that? I'm not going to invite you forward. I want you to just raise your hand right where you are and put it back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is what I need you guys to do. For those of you that raised your hand, God is so enamored with you. He's been wooing you. He's been asking you. He's been pushing. And He brought you to this place today so that salvation could come your way. And all you got to do is just confess and believe. That's what the Bible says. I say the prayer the same way over and over and over. I lead this prayer over and over and over because I want to make sure that we do it right. But I don't want just the five that raised their hands just now. Who in here knows that you didn't raise your hand that you needed to? Where are you? Is there there's somebody else in here that knows that you, you it's not right and you've got to fix it? Thank you. Thank you. Six. I don't want just the six to say the prayer because... That means that they're doing it on their own. They, they've got to just rock this thing by themselves. And that's not who the church is. 
The church does this together, front to back, side to side. And so what they need you to do is to help them. They need you to disciple them. They need you to mentor them. They need you to walk with them and they need you to say this prayer so that they know that they are in company that is gonna make a difference. And so I want everybody in the room to pray and just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. I'm sorry. Will you guys say it like you mean it? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I ask forgiveness. God, I pray that you would cleanse me from all unrighteousness. God, I accept you sent your son through a virgin birth. He led a sinless life. He died on the cross for me. He rose from the grave. God, I accept. I can't do this by myself. I need you to be my Lord. Take me by the hand and lead me home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you give them a hand, guys? The Bible says all the angels of heaven are rejoicing right now. And for those, those, those of you that raised your hand and even those that, that you think, you know what, I wish I had raised my hand, I need to do this. For those of you that raised your hand, will you make sure and see Pastor Chase right after service here so that he can help you start on that path. He wants to have that happen with you. But you know what? God's not done. Because there's some healing that needs to start in this room. There are people, the the numbers are overwhelming. It cannot be. I'm telling you, we have been in churches over and over and over. And the numbers are always the same. It's one in three women of childbearing age. One in three men. Can you imagine that one third of this room has had their lives impacted by abortion? And so I want to, I want us to all pray right now. I want us to all pray and listen, if you feel like you can, I want you to talk to pastor chase sometime this week and just let him know your story and he can help you get hooked up with us, help you get hooked with this church so that he can help you guys. Pastor chase, I've given you a lot to do this week. Sorry about that. Beyond that though, we'll be at the table upstairs so that we can talk with you guys, that we can, I mean, we have books up there to start you on your journey and and we want that, but I want the whole room to just start praying. For those of you that are sitting as families, if you know, then, then you know, and just start praying for your family. If you don't know, then just start praying for those around you. But let's just finish with prayer because listen, every great thing that's ever happened was preceded with prayer. And I believe that this city is going to be changed by this church and you guys are going to be the difference makers. But you need to be healthy to be able to do that. Raise your hands and close your eyes and let's just pray. Father, we love you, God. We thank you so much. Lord, that you are healer. That you are healer in every step of the way. Lord, you are deliverer. You're the one that takes us from that moment where we are so messed up and you take us out of that moment that your mercy just comes running to us. Lord, that your grace empowers us to do those things that we need to do. God, we thank you that you are in this room now, that you are inhabiting those folks with the praise that they had before. Now you are doing a tender moment with them and we thank you for that. God, let this place be a place of healing starting today. Lord, When Jesus 
called Lazarus out of the grave, Lord, when he called him out, when he came out, he still had grave clothes on. He needed somebody to help him. And Jesus said, somebody help him get those clothes off. What we need in this room is somebody to help those that are hurting, that they would help them get the grave clothes off and walk in the newness of what Christ has given to these folks. So Lord, we pray that over them right now. Lord, I pray for the place that this church is going because this cannot be a destination for this church. I pray blessing. Lord, I pray belief. I pray faith into this church. You rise up in this place and know that you are destined for more than this place here. There is nothing wrong with this, but there is something greater outside this door. Lord, we just pray that you would pour out your spirit continually for salvation, for healing, for miracles and signs and wonders in this place. Lord, we love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. We put our hands together and thank our guests today. We should not take this day lightly. We should not take this topic lightly. When I, we, we were engaging in conversation about being here, I did not know that it was gonna be such a hot topic even this week and in this day and I don't say things to be political, but whenever things cross that line, when it gets into the spiritual realm of things, the church must talk. And um, I know some people, <laughs> they don't agree, uh, and I'm fine with that, but when the Lord has called us to do something, the church must do it. And I encourage you today that at some point in your life, um, you've got to get on the mat. If you've been saved, you've been on the mat. And if you've never been on the mat when you needed help, your day is coming. It's part of life. And if you have problems and you have issues in your life, or maybe you've been through an abortion, maybe you've been through things in your life that you need to confide with someone in, I encourage you to do that today. I encourage you to do that day and just let you know you are not alone. We've all been on the mat. Your pastor has been on the mat because I'm saved. I've had to lay down on the mat and say, Lord, I need you. And today there are people here, you need the Lord. And I encourage you to take some time today, look over your life and just, and, and, and just confide in the Lord and can find someone that you can confide with that, that will share that load with you. Amen. Once again, I want to thank the people who are helping in our local uh, pregnancy center. Thank you all so much for being here. I know Debbie, one of our own volunteers there. I know Miss Brenda has volunteered there throughout the years. Let's give them one big hand again today. Would you stand with me in the house today? I want to pray today over our pregnancy center. Lord, I pray today as I've listened to Sheila's story throughout the years. I heard her tell the story when she walked into the building that day, she looked around and there were girls just lined around the walls waiting for their appointment. God, I pray that as young girls and women 
come into our pregnancy center here in Rome. That it would be a place of hope. God, I pray that when they hear that baby's heartbeat, they hear your heartbeat. Lord, forgive our nation, for our nation has sinned against you. Lord, forgive the blood that we have on our hands as a nation. Lord, I pray, Lord, as these women walk into that room and they make decisions for their life, God, I pray that when they look upon those people's faces who are volunteering, who are working there, God, I pray that when the smile comes to their face, it's like they're looking at the face of the Lord. I pray that they will be encouraged. I pray, Lord, that you would give them words, oh God, that will pierce that mama's heart and it will remind them that they have a living being that was created by you, oh God. Lord, your word says that even in our mother's womb, you knew us then, oh God. I declare, Lord, that our Resort Pregnancy Center Haven Health, Lord, it's going to be a place of healing. I'm declaring it's going to be a place of restoration. It shall not be a place of death. It shall be a place of life, oh God. I pray right now, can somebody come into agreement with me over these things today? It shall be an office of life, not an office of death. Lord, I'm declaring it today, Lord, right now. Anything that the enemy has planned for Haven Health, it shall not prosper this year. I declare it, devil, get your hand off of God's children today. It shall not prosper. No weapon formed against Haven Health shall prosper. It shall not, oh God. I was praying this week and the Lord wanted me to give you a check. I have a check for you from Legacy Church for $1,000. And I'm believing that every dollar represents a baby that is about to be saved in your office. Come on, can somebody just raise up your hands with me? Lord, right now, Lord, it's just a piece of paper that we're sowing into, into fertile soil. But I declare it right now, a thousand babies being saved. I pray this year that that office saves more babies than they have saved in the last 10 years. Let it be, let it be. I declare it, Lord. Lord, let a great awakening happen in our nation. Lord, and let it begin right here. feel a sweet presence in this place today. And it's the presence of the Lord. God, I thank you today. Our guests, they're going to be upstairs in the loft. And I encourage you to stop by there. Let them know you appreciate them. Let's buy out all of their supplies. It's not just a book, but it helps resource their ministries. It's a book that can give life to people, help you minister to them. 
So please, let's go up there. Let's, let's buy everything they have. Let's, let's thank them for what they're doing. And as a pastor, I said this to first service, and I've, I've, I, yesterday I was wrestling with this. And I want to say this to you as a pastor. This is not, this is not a Republican or Democrat thing. So don't point that finger at me today. This is a spiritual issue. The church needs to be praying about this Equality Act. I don't care who you voted for. I don't. I prayed for Trump and I'm praying for Biden and I will continue to pray for him. But I want to tell you as a pastor, if this passes, it is invading Christian values and what is a sin in the Bible we will not be able to call it that from this pulpit. That is where it's going. I'm being plain with you. This is not political. This is spiritual warfare on the church. Period. I don't care what side you're going to vote on. This is spiritual warfare on the church. And right now we are at a place where if this passes, it not, it's not only Christianity, we're talking about all the faiths in this world it will affect. It will change the it will change our school systems. It will. It will change the way I can preach and things I can say right here without me being locked up behind bars for calling what the Bible says a sin. We will have to allow people in in our restrooms that we're not born to go into that restroom. And you know my heart. There is not one person who has been here that can say I'm discriminatory to any person. From day one, I have stood behind here and I said, everyone is welcome here. We have homosexuals in this church. We've had trans, we've had people trans that I did not even, I, 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 when I looked at them, I did not know it. And after I found that out, I hugged their neck. I shake their hand every Sunday, but let me tell you something. If this thing passes, it is an invasion to our beliefs. It is invasion to this pulpit. And I believe it could be one of the worst things in American history. And I don't say this as a political figure. I say this as a pastor. You can be upset with me if you want to, that's your right. But as your pastor, I feel like I would be letting you down if I did not stand up here today and tell you to be praying and tell you today or tomorrow, you need to email the senators of this state and you need to tell them it is wrong. It goes against our constitutional rights. It goes against your beliefs. And if they do seem feel that it needs to be passed, churches should be excluded from that. I'm just being honest with you today. You need to be praying, church. You need to be on your hands and your knees. Yes, we will continue to love everyone. I will stand here and welcome anybody in this church that wants to worship with us. I may not agree with your lifestyle, but you can worship in my church. If you're a homosexual, I want you here. Why? Because I know the God I serve can change your life. If you... 
I've been in churches. If you look like you were homosexual, they wouldn't let you through that door. That's not going to happen here. I want you in this church. If you're a prostitute, I want you in this church. If you are a drug addict, I want you in this church. If you've had an abortion, I want you in this church. If you've had an adult, if you, if you've an adulterous relationship, I want you in this church. Why? Because my God can change your life. I don't agree with your lifestyle. I'm not putting a stamp on it, but I want you here so God can change your life. And today we're not, we're not, we're not okaying teen pregnancy and we're not doing that. This is not what we're doing people. So don't leave her saying, I don't know why he's doing that. He's, why he's, he's encouraging these young girls to get pregnant. No, I'm not. I never have. We've even had ministry to young girls who've gotten pregnant because I said, the church can't sit here and say, we can't be having abortions. And then we talk about young girls that decide to keep the baby. We got to be the church. We got to love those people who are different from us. We don't have to agree, but we got to welcome in them into this place so our God can change their life. And we've got to be praying for our nation. I don't care who you voted for. That's over. What I do care about is this thing being passed and it can change the way we do church, the way our schools will function. Would not be a good thing. As your pastor, hear my heart. Hear my heart. I know there will be people that are watching this today. I'm talking to you. You're going to clip this out. You're going to edit this and you're going to put it on social media and you're going to email me. I love you. I may not agree with you, but I love you. You are welcome in this church. I don't agree with that belief, but you are welcome in this church because my God can change your life. So today, let's be in prayer. Let's be in prayer over all these issues. Let's be lifting each other up. Let's treat each other with love, grace, and his mercy. God can do some things in our nation. Wouldn't it be great if it started right here today? Mm. Lord, I pray for every family, Lord, that's here today. As we leave this place, Lord, bind us together with strong cords of love that cannot be broken. Let us, not, let us not drift to the right or to the left, Lord, but let us lift our eyes to you today. We know where our help comes from.